everybody, and welcome to Big Nerdy Questions. This is Callie, the residential Harry Potter expert, unless Colleen objects. <laughs> nope, no objections. <laughs> All right. Um, today, we'll be talking about Harry Potter and who is considered the best secondary character aside from the original three characters, um, and, which includes Harry, Hermione, and Ron. So today, um, I have with me Josh. Hello, guys. I'm still here. Of House Ravenclaw, we have Colleen. Well, chocolate frogs, y'all. This is going to be totally awesome. Of House Gryffindor, and we have a very special newbie with us, Amanda. Hello. Of House Ravenclaw, and I, Callie, am of uh, House Slytherin. I have um, to correct you. Amanda's house is not. Yeah, there you go. Of <laughs> I'm sorry. Amanda's of House Hufflepuff. I'm of House Gryffindor. So we have. One house representative, so I guess we'll be the heads of house for this episode. Um, Ooh, so you have to answer here... a clue to get into my house. Does anybody really want to be in your house, though? Oh. I think it was Colonel Mustard in the living room <laughs> with the wrench. Yeah, with the Marauder's Map, but I'll take it. <laughs> Elementary, my dear. Cho, I guess. My dear so Hagrid. My dear Hagrid. My dear Hagrid. Uh-huh. But alas, uh, we of each house of Hogwarts will be discussing what we think is the best character, and we'll even talk about um, what we what we think of as the best character, secondary character within Harry Potter. Um, so I'm going to pass it off to Josh for a few announcements, and before we do our big nerdy recommendation, Josh, if you want to take it away? Yes. So if you are a Twitter follower or a Facebook follower, by now you know this news, but if you are not, we have... Huge news because we can finally reveal, after been building up for the past three weeks, who our sponsor is. Callie, musician, please give me a drum roll. Oh, I don't know if I can do this near my my mic. Hold on. That works. B&Q is proudly sponsored by Fleetwit.com. Fleetwit.com is the site where you... Yes, you can actually win cold hard cash by playing trivia questions. Every day uh, during the week, they have free flash races. Win the flash race and place in the top 70 usually, you'll get a certain amount of money, which then you can either cash out with or you can invest back into the Fleetwit. Play, qu- play quizzes on things that you're experts on, like Harry Potter, Star Trek, Star Wars, game shows, European history, or anything in between, and you could win real cash. Fleetwit.com is endorsed by Ken Jennings, the Jeopardy champion, and by me, a less of a Jeopardy champion. Uh, You'll always be Jeopardy champion in my heart. Thank you. Uh, but Fleetwit.com has really good trivia, in my opinion, as a trivia aficionado. The questions are much more well-constructed than HQ trivia or the other bigger names out there right now. Uh, they're more fair. And if you know the subject, you will probably be able to answer the questions. It's also based on speed. So if you uh, know your questions fast, hence the name Fleetwit, then you might do really well. Uh, So give it a try, Fleetwit.com, brought to you by Big Nerdy Questions. We hope you enjoy it, and thank you so much to Fleetwit for being our first sponsor ever on Big Nerdy Questions. We appreciate it. Thank you, Josh, and I hope all of you will go out and check out Fleetwit.com. I particularly am excited because I am prepping to be a Jeopardy contestant, and I will definitely be hitting that up for my study uh, my study plan. The answer is always Zorba the Greek. Understood. 
thought it was the mitochondria as the powerhouse of the cell. If it's biology, then yes, that's the answer. <laughs> I thought it was suck it, Trebek. <laughs> There's also that. I will give or you a fun fact today. Um, when recording Jeopardy, everyone thinks Alex Trebek always pronounces everything correctly, and he doesn't. Uh, the writers actually put words in the clues that are intentionally difficult to pronounce, and he will stumble over them and then have to re-record it with a pronunciation guide during the commercial breaks. When I was recording, it was the, when the Icelandic volcano had just gone up, and they included a clue for, about the Icelandic volcano that included not only the volcano's name, but two other towns nearby that each had at least 20 letters. Uh, and the crew was snickering quietly when Trebek could not pronounce those towns in Iceland. Um, oh my so. god, they do it on purpose. Exactly. They do it on yeah. purpose. Mm-hmm. They will include clues in languages that are completely obscure. I recall like one time they did an entire category. <laughs> yeah, they've done Welsh. They did an entire category on Maori. Uh, oh, yeah. So they will choose languages that people generally do not know how to pronounce if they're not familiar with it just to trip <laughs> him up. And then they'll give him the uh, pronunciation guide during the commercial. That's awesome. So. Fun fact, everybody. Back to you, Kevin. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. Now that we're back from our commercial break, and by that, so sound, it sounds like the uh, the crew is uh, likes to hit Trebek with a confundus charm. <laughs> <laughs> Very witty, even fleet witty. Accio daily double. <laughs> if only uh, could... that'll be uh, three hundred galleons for the win. There. Yes. <laughs> Welcome back to Harry Potter Jeopardy! <laughs> oh, oh man, that would be the that. best Jeopardy ever. Sure. We, we can the answer that. is always Expelliarmus. Harry's Actually, favorite. there is... Or Stupefy. I will say <laughs> that... Yeah, watch Tell this space. Like uh, because, you know, Amanda said we should do that. Watch this space because there, there might be a quiz-based program in the long-term future of Big Nerdy Questions. So what? watch this space. That's all I'll say for now. Watch this space. Oh my god, it just started snowing. What? <laughs> I'm looking outside and it's just started snowing. I'm so excited. I'm sorry. She's at the Christmas Yule snow. Ball. No, uh, oh my yeah. god. It's com- sorry, it's coming down really hard. I'm like super excited about So this. it's snowing in Seattle and here in North Carolina it's 80 freaking degrees. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. Like I'm probably going to go to the beach after this. Well, <laughs> after seeing Black Panther, of course. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to get hyped and then stay hyped. So there will be ice cream involved. All right. (laughs) Um, Back to our regularly scheduled program. Uh, um, So this week's big nerdy recommendation, um, I'm going to talk about a graphic novel that I've been reading over the past year or so. Um, It's called The Wicked and Divine. It is uh, written by Karen Gillen and illustrated by Jamie McKelvey. It is absolutely phenomenal. Um, The illustrations are gorgeous and sometimes like most of the time when I read a graphic novel you know I read it and then I go back through and I look at it it's just you could you could just skip over all the words and just look at at how it's drawn it's that captivating um the premise is basically every 90 years there are 12 gods from various um world mythology cultures and traditions that come back as humans and within two years they're all dead but while they're alive, they're basically these giant superstars that are worshipped um, by members of society. 
and there's there's also this underlying plot of of why they're dying and getting killed and there's there's some other sinister plans going on in the background with each reincarnation um to my knowledge there's more than 12 gods that are available to come back but only 12 are picked for every um re um reanimation or reincantation why am i blanking on that word um reincarnation but um it's definitely worth a read right now there's about i think there's like 33 issues that have been released there's two more there's one coming out in march one coming out in april that have already that already have their artwork um published and available if you've seen American Gods, it's got a very similar tone um, where you get to see how different gods and other cultures interact with each other and with humans, um, but also that aspect of the humans worshiping them being the source of their power. So if you've seen American Gods and you like it, you definitely like this graphic novel. Um, I think it's published by Image Comics, but it's also available on like Comixology and Amazon. So if you get a chance, pick up the first issue. It is well worth the read. Did you say it was written by Karen Gillan of Doctor Who fame? I, not, no, not Karen uh, Gilliam, not, not, uh, not, not Amy Pond. Pond. <laughs> but very similar name. It's like, it's like, it looks like Kiernan, but without the extra N. Ah, my apologies. I was thinking it was a double recommendation for that, but it still oh, sounds amazing. Only. Yeah. If um, only. <laughs> if you haven't seen Jumanji. Also, well worth the watch just for Karen Killian. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that comment can be taken several ways. <laughs> I just uh. think she's a fabulous actress. I don't know what other way you can take it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so go pick up a copy of Wicked and Divine, and you'll you'll thank me for it later. So, um, so for this episode, we are. We're looking at lesser gods, mostly magicians, uh, witches, and wizards. Um, and we're going to be talking about what or who is the best secondary character in Harry Potter, aside from the original three. Um, we've discussed a little bit, and we've, we've realized that each uh, panelist, probably because of our house choices, have each come up with kind of our own interpretation of what is the best, how do you classify the best secondary character. Um, so... As we go around, we're going to do a round-robin style. Um, I'm going to have each person present. We're going to do probably two rounds, have each person present their um, their options for best character and also preface it with how they approach answering that question and why they went with the line of thought when they were choosing that particular character. Um, so that being said, I'm actually going to start off with our newbie, our guest, Amanda. Oh, my God. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Pressure's on. Uh, for Fox, it's okay. It's not like it's your owls or your newts. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> and Josh, you don't have to bleep that because I said Fox. I know. Phoenix, I know. Not the other f bomb. That is going through the censor. You're good. So I also encourage as many Harry Potter custom puns as possible to keep this Battle Gar- Star Galactic style. Well, <laughs> what the frack do you want me to say? I, I know it's Battlestar, but I, it's all I got right at the moment. <laughs> oh, woman up! Oh man, I have to hold back some of my other ones because they're just—they're just too—they're—they're just they're too adult. All right, <laughs> um, Amanda, I'd like you to start us off with your first pick for the best secondary character. Oh my gosh! Okay, so I started out thinking of best character as 
most important to helping Harry achieve the goal of killing Voldemort. Um, and I realized that the top couple of people that I picked, um, because I felt like Neville was really obvious. I felt like Dumbledore was really obvious. And so I was going for after that. Um, I realized that they're also my favorite characters. Um, and so the first one I'm going to go with is Remus Lupin. And I chose him because I think that he is really like the best father figure in the story. Um, even though Harry is pretty obsessed with Sirius, um, Remus is like a much better role model to him. He is like always there for him. He gives Harry the ties to his past. Um, he keeps him focused on his target, even though like, even when they get in the big fight in the shell cottage, um, he like even though Remus is being a douchebag at the time. Uh, can I say that? Yes, you can. <laughs> even even though like he's my signature being... phrase, so go for it. <laughs> even though Remus is being a douchebag, he like at the same time is reminding like when Harry gets really bad and starts yelling at Remus, Harry is being reminded of all of the reasons that he's fighting for this, um, for the kid, um, and for you know family and love and all of the good things and so uh even when he's at his worst he's helping harry stay focused on his goals um not to mention that remus is the one who teaches him the patronus charm which is like one of the most useful spells in the series um and he like he's really essential to the fight against the death eaters because he's like acting like a spy with the werewolves and stuff and he's fighting in the Battle of Hogwarts. Like, he's always there. He's always fighting. He's so dependable. Like, I don't know. He's critical, and I also love him. So. I think one of the most important things that Lupin teaches Harry is how to confront his fears and to not let his fears control him, which I think was kind of like an underlying message in, in, the, in the, what is it, the third the book. The third book, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I, I agreed. I like Lupin. I don't know that I pick him as my, my top choice, but he's definitely up there. Um, you're right, the Patronus Charm was one of the most essential spells every Harry ever dealt with. Um, but I also like that with the introduction of Lupin, we get a lot more backstory and character development on Snape and Harry's parents and what the past was like that led up to multiple things. So Lupin in and of itself kind of showed us a bigger storyline in why the order of the phoenix members were the way they were and i have to say that lupin also has one of the most underrated romance stories of the trilogy with tonks so true yeah Uh, yeah i mean when you get big lebowski and game of thrones actors uh going at it it's pretty awesome (laughs) (laughs) well then also um lupin ended up giving the marauders map to harry which he used like a billion times which is like super important well he gave it back to him technically fred and george gave it to him (laughs) well he didn't have to give it back to him (laughs) true was true was he the best defense against the dark arts instructor absolutely yes absolutely because um who was after who was in year four? Oh, they did. No, they did have defense against dark arts in year four. It was Mad Eye Moody, but Barty Crouch. Yeah, yeah. you can. Who are really pretty good? He was. He was effed up. Like what he did yeah. to like torture Neville like that was just. That was just sick. Was Umbridge number in book five? Yeah, mm-hmm. and then yeah. Snape and then in books Snape six and six. seven. No, oh, just well, six. Well, he wasn't there in seven. That's right. 
Seven was they a didn't, They didn't have defense against the Dark Arts in Book 7. No, it, it was yes, one it of did. the Tarot siblings. Yeah. But yeah. they didn't have much in the class, because it was crazy. Yeah. So pretty much everything was the, the Dark Arts <laughs> once, mm-hmm. once. So it old. sounds like we all agree that Remus Lupin is the best character, and we're done here. Um, sure. I wouldn't say that. (laughs) Callie is the arbiter. If you were going to go against who, in in as a character, was like most important in terms of you know helping Harry kill Voldemort, I would go with Voldemort himself. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's no riddle. (laughs) Oh, nice one, Josh. But I think we had this discussion, like, really quickly, briefly, before we started recording about the debate, like, would you even consider Voldemort to be a secondary character, right? right. So. Yeah, because I, I felt the same. I you know, like, My number one would have been Voldemort, but I don't consider him a secondary char- character because he is the antagonist. And the whole point of secondary characters is they have someone other than the protagonist and the antagonist. Fair yes, enough. and then I. But then we have. I'm glad we like, at least mentioned him, though, because obviously everyone out there who's a Potterhead is going to have the same thought that we did. Well, obviously it's Voldemort if you're going based on importance. So a nice clarification. And then I was have. like, I don't know. I think you could debate that Albus Dumbledore could be, especially by book seven, could be considered like the main antagonist. It just depends on your point of view, right? True. Or Severus Snape, depending on your opinion on what he did in six and seven. Oh no! I will defend him like unto infinity. I was, I was, and beyond. Exactly, I was in that camp that was like, oh no, Snape is good, and and, you know, and and he's not, he's not evil. And so when I was like proven correct, I was like, yes, finally. But then I was also upset because like he was my favorite character and he died. So I was like, no. Yeah, and he kind of died unnecessarily. (sighs) Yes, I know. A man who spends like half his time with a crazy person who's got a giant poisonous snake should like, and he's a potions professor. Why do you not have like something on you to like, you know, uh, don't make to, like the cure? Yeah, why well, didn't have like the what's that stone that you that cured Ron when he drank? I um, I think it was suicide by Nagini. Honestly, so what? I think it was suicide by Nagini. Yeah, uh, but you know, Arthur Weasley was also attacked by Nagini, and he managed to survive because of like Harry. And yeah. every, I'm just saying. I don't think Snape like, wanted to survive, is what I'm saying. <sighs> yeah, because my like, like I love Snape. I will say it, but I could not imagine his reintegration into the Wizarding world after the events of the Second Wizarding War. Mm-hmm. Well, fine, I, he would survive, and then he would just go and retire and live in Tahiti as a <laughs> Muggle. I'm pretty sure he would just like stay in his sad little house and be sad for the rest of his life because that's all he did because he was a sad little man who never got over his high school crush. Oh, wow. Team anti Snape. Oh, wow. oh, wow. oh, oh my goodness. Uh, Callie, you might want to go that's to the next wild. pick. <laughs> so, Colleen, I'm going to call you up next. Who's your first pick for best character? Okay, so I first have to preface this by saying that I completely misread <laughs> the show notes. Uh,. So in the show notes, it was like, it said something like, who is the best secondary character? And somehow in my brain, I read it as most interesting, you know, character. So I think that proves that I am very Gryffindor because I just do not pay attention to the details. (laughs) 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 Just blah, blah, blah. Go with the, you know, whatever I feel. So um, I I picked, um, as most interesting, I picked Peeves. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Here's the poltergeist. Tell us more. I mean, he's just, <laughs> he's just so much fun. 
And he's so amusing. Like, he says in the, like, he came with the school. He's been there, like, since the founding of the school. And he just does the craziest things. And I love him. Uh, so it's like, no one really knows anything about him or how he even, like, came to be or why he doesn't just go away. But he just, I just love the fact that he just, he just, he just sits there and, like, you know, makes, I wouldn't necessarily say makes people's lives miserable. I think he makes Hogwarts a bit more fun place to be. It just wouldn't be the same place without Peeves. Um, I was uh, reading up a little bit more about his character, and apparently back in, like, the 1800s or something, uh, one of the, the caretaker at the time decided that he was tired of Peeves and his crazy antics and tried to get rid of him by creating creating like the you know the 19th century version of like a ghostbusters trap oh my god <laughs> and it's and apparently uh he he like tried to like lure peeves into this room that had a whole bunch of like weapons including cannons and blunderbusses and swords and then uh was trying to trap him in like some kind of like a jar and but Peeves was able to break out of the jar, and as a result, you now you have Peeves who's really not happy. You have a ticked off Peeves who's in a room full of weapons, and Hogwarts had to be evacuated for three days <laughs> while Peeves just oh ran my, around like shooting off so cannons, awesome. et cetera, inside the school. And the headmaster at the time, I think, it was actually a woman, had to negotiate and sign a contract with Peeves to get him to stop using the cannons inside the school. Uh, and so, like, part of the contract was an agreement that Peeves could um, have additional, like, privileges, including a daily swim in the boys' toilet and having the pick of uh, the best stale bread with which to, like, throw at students. <laughs> that is by far the best backstory. <laughs> <laughs> so, by best, most well-developed character. That's just, like... He's just so much fun. I mean, and then he was present at the Battle of Hogwarts, you know. He's, like, dropping the snargle, whatever the hell they were, little weird plant things on. Yeah, on top of the Death Eaters. And not to mention, like, he raised complete hell, um, you know, with uh, Umbridge. And I I love him for that alone. Like, he chased her with McGonagall's cane and was beating her with it. I love it. (laughs) I feel like the movies didn't do him justice. No, but they didn't do very well with any of the ghost or non- non-alive you know corporeal like you had yeah. like nearly like the first movie introduces him and then and then it's like nothing until uh the sixth one with uh the ghost of rowena ravenclaw yeah or pretty seventh. much but um oh yeah seventh excuse me because mm-hmm. i think they had nearly had like snick but i think they come like in the second one they completely skipped over the death day party and all that stuff yeah they so- did which would have been so much fun to see oh i know well i think they decided because the first one was very much closely done to the book and i think that they decided the producers decided after the first movie to streamline it by doing only the events that harry was involved in and somehow if it wasn't a harry centric event kind of mentioning it some other character mentions it happens but not actually showing it yeah which i understand for time reasons especially as the books got much thicker but it is a shame that a lot of that great secondary characters like peeves gets pushed to the cutting room floor right Right. I mean, it's because Peeves is such a central part of Hogwarts. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, has to deal with him. I, and I have to say, to Peeves' credit, it at least kept students on their toes, which mm. I I want to say it, it helped Harry and Hermione and Ron kind of train and build up for certain things because they were also constantly trying to distract or avoid Peeves. So not only were they learning hexes and curses, but also knowing how to listen for possible attacks and being like, Staying focused while they're trying to do stuff. So a clarification. About, go ahead. 
I was going to say, nice thing about Peeves, too, he's also like, uh, you know, he's almost like the Greek equalizer because he doesn't, unlike, you know, you have House Gryffindor, House Slytherin, who, you know, obviously their heads of houses have their favorites, and even Dumbledore, you know, heavily favored Gryffindors over pretty much all the other houses mm-hmm. and would treat those students differently. Peeves didn't care what house you belonged to or if you, or, you know, if you were the head of house or anything, as long as you weren't Albus Dumbledore, you were basically, or the Bloody Baron, you were fair game. Yeah. So, as someone who, you know, read the books a long time ago when they came out, seen the movies, but isn't as much of a Potterhead as the three of you, what determines if someone in the universe, when they die, becomes a ghost versus not becoming a ghost? There's a little bit of discussion, but I don't think it's really clear. Yeah, it's... No one ever, like, kind of decides. Um, I don't know if there's some kind of ceremony... Like, I always just assume the Casper approach, where they had unfinished hmm. business, so they got to stay. Yeah, and Peeves isn't really a ghost, He's because all the other ones yeah. are non-corporeal, really. Like, they don't have a physical form, whereas Peeves does. Uh, yeah, so he's... Nobody really knows what he is, which I think is... <laughs> uh, just adds adds to, like, the how interesting the character is. Yeah, um, so I just looked it up. So there is the unfinished business part, so that kind of carries over. Um, according to this, the wisest wizards and witches choose not to become a ghost because they, I think it kind of falls into the resurrection stone where you, you kind of understand that while you might want to live forever, it's not the wisest thing to do, um, because you can't, you, it just, it's just, it's not the same. Um, and eventually you'll come to a point where you you regret it. Which is why that would explain, because I was particularly thinking about Lupin and Tonks, but that would explain why they chose not to, even though they had unfinished business with their child. Yeah. Um, I think it's possible. I think think it's something that you, according to this, um, there's attachment to the material world and they refuse to move on to the next dimension. So it's really just stubbornness. (laughs) So I'm actually surprised that Voldemort didn't come back as a ghost. Oh my god. I mean, he had Horcruxes. Maybe he couldn't. Well, like at the very end, right? There you wasn't know? enough yeah. of his soul left to become a ghost. <laughs> Probably. Timid Tom. <laughs> oh my god. Somebody, that would have been awesome. Like, to have, you know what? have Voldemort running around Hogwarts. But he kind of was a ghost if you consider the Tom Riddle that came back because it was, it was a ghostly like figure. Are we the talking about reason- from the diary? Yeah. Because he actually was able to get out of the diary and was translucent in a way. He wasn't full. and Like, he would have only come back fully if Jenny Weasley had died. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. He kind of was a ghost for a second? Mm-hmm. I don't know. For a hot minute, oh. as they say. Oh, God. I don't remember yeah. what the time unit on Miss Weasley's clock is, but whatever one of those ticks are. Mortal danger. A, a, a Mortal turn, danger. A flip of the time turner. How about that? <laughs> All right. So, um... So now that we've discussed Peeves probably as thoroughly as we possibly could, um, Josh, yes, what is your first pick? So um, I was going with characters that, in my mind, not necessarily were integral to Harry's success, but through their presence in the storyline, completely changed things or influenced things. So... Although this character only appears directly in one of the books, I feel like his um, his demise has completely changed the book. So I'm going with Cedric Diggory. Mm. 
Um, because in my opinion, technically he was in two books, but true. go ahead. But, no, but number four is where he really is important. Goblet of fire. Yes. Um, first of all, in the movies, it established that Robert Pattinson, when not paired with Bella Swan and twilight can actually act. <laughs> okay. Um, but that was like before twilight. I know, but I, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, but that's not important for this conversation. What is important is He's also a good singer. FYI. Yes. He's on the soundtrack for twilight. <laughs> um, Cedric Diggory, as a living character, is almost unconsequential. I freely admit that. But Cedric Diggory's death completely changes the tone of the books. In the first three books, the Voldemort is sort of a backburner presence. Everyone knows that he's coming, but the kids don't take it as seriously, especially not other people don't take it as seriously. The threat isn't real. It isn't made manifest. But when Cedric Diggory dies in the Triwizard Tournament, directly there. <laughs> directly at the hands of he who must not be named, it just got real. And I'll bleep myself out for that because it's appropriate uh, in this case. I you mean, the, the, tonal, got real. the tonal shift. <laughs> nice. The tonal shift from the end, tail end of Goblet of Fire through the rest of the series. I mean, it's it's a little dark in Azkaban, but it gets really dark really quick at that point on going forward. I mean, it, of course, matches the characters as they age, but the tone, I mean, it goes from, like, adventures and escapades to a constant <laughs> war. I mean, 5, yeah. 6, and 7 are pretty much one extended narrative about the build-up to and the second Wizarding War. Yeah. Uh, and that all happens, like, that is the moment that, is the powder keg for that. So I think it's interesting how you, how you would categorize, you know, uh, obtaining the philosopher's stone, battling a basilisk and running away from dementors and werewolves as adventures of escapades. (laughs) Well, the the tone is different. It's more, it's, it's almost to use another franchise. The first three has a lot of dark moments, but it feels almost like the kind of tone you would get in an Indiana Jones kind of movie. You know, it's all like running around and, you know, quests and solving puzzles. And it, it is it wrapped with danger and everything. But then you get all on war. It's almost it, it's it's a very similar structure to Star Trek Deep Space Nine to bring it to my level of expertise. And that the first few seasons are standalone adventures. And with a overall like plot of this is the Dominion in the background and we don't want to deal with them. And then mm-hmm. season five, six and seven war. Just constant war, and the main characters start falling like flies. Uh, so, Diggory's death, to use an alliterative coin of phrase, uh, I think is a major catalyst for the series. So, dead Cedric Diggory is my first choice. <laughs> okay. I think that's the martyr really of. interesting because, like, when you first <laughs> said it, I was like, I mean, it's kind of a side note that he dies. You know, really, it's everything else that happens in the graveyard that's important. But then, you know, if he if Harry didn't bring back Cedric's dead body, then I don't that's what really launches all of the chaos in the wizarding world. That's what gives people doubt Um, if he had just come back all bloody and sad like he is. um, Then I think (laughs) like Dumbledore would have been the only one to believe him. It's just another Friday in Harry's world. Right, right. (laughs) Um, but I also, not that, I. so one of the uh, stipulations I put on the on the panelists was not to try to keep it away, or to try to keep it away from uh, Cursed Child references, but 
Um, I do want to make a quick mention that Diggory's death also is mentioned in The Cursed Child, so it's still important 30 years later. So mm-hmm. I kind of have to agree with Josh in that it is, it, is, it is such a pivotal moment in the series, in the story, in what happens. Um, well, and yeah, I have I mean, to say, it, it, it goes back to, you know, Colleen shows it with her house. As a Ravenclaw, and literally as a historian, I was looking for cause and effect. Mm-hmm. And I, I like, as a historian in my real academic world, I like looking at, you know, catalyst moments. Those mm-hmm. moments in historical timeline where if something doesn't go exactly like it's going, the, everything changes. And in the Harry right. Potter universe, when I looked at all seven years, that was the catalyst moment in my mind. Like, there are other ones, but that one completely changes the game. Yeah. So no, Ravenclaw gives you that as a chronicler. Okay. I just like to. So you're making a distinction between live Cedric Diggory and dead Cedric Diggory is yes. who is most important. Okay. Dead Diggory. <laughs> dead Diggory. Martyr. Dead, dead Diggory. <laughs> Killed Cedric. He becomes a vampire uh, and travels to Washington and takes See, that's geometry. That's my point. Is that he yeah. doesn't really die? He just becomes undead. <laughs> He comes back as a vampire. As an aside, yeah. if you were 100 years old, why would you be taking geometry again and again? Are you that bored yeah, of a student? He really likes high school. Because he stays yeah. I know. Just walk away, Josh. Just walk away. I know. <laughs> yeah, let's not, please God, let's not get into this. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say That's a fork we don't want to go down. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. He gets older and the girls stay the same age. <laughs> See, this is why I didn't want to go down there. I was going to say, this is going to open and very ugly can of worms yeah let's avoid those worms uh oh that's that was a bad image too callie please all right so since we are talking gillyweed now that we're avoiding worms um yes i i so i guess so since we've gone around i'll go ahead and do my first pick um i do really like the diggory pick and i hadn't really gone down that path but it makes so much sense um but i was i kind of went with a similar logic that josh did where and, but instead of the historical pinpoint, I went with the logical pinpoint. Like, if you were to drive it all the way back, what was the one thing that caused all of this story to even be possible and that there be conflict um, and the and just just make it all possible? And as I went back, so I, I you know, I did some character studies and um, I went wikipedia style if you've ever played the wikipedia game we can basically get to psychology if you click enough links um i felt like the psychology (laughs) of the harry potter wiki was severus snape um i i you you could have voldemort and the only reason why i eliminated voldemort is because i consider him an, an antagonist and not a secondary character but snape would be that next click and everything kind of wavers on him um so the reason why I picked Snape, not only am I like Colleen in that I've been the Snape bandwagon since I was like 13 years old. Um, he is one of the most fleshed out characters in the whole story. Um, you know, having this unrequited love that survives, I guess, a couple decades because technically he didn't even make it to 40. Um, but one of his, one of his choices is what caused, caused it all to happen. So to give it some context, um, Severus overhears Trelawney during her school and inter- her teacher interview with Dumbledore make the prediction that Harry or make the prediction that a child who could overthrow the Dark Lord was going to be born at the end of July, basically. And that leaves Harry and um, Neville as potential possibilities of children. Um, he takes this information back to 
Voldemort without the full information, and Voldemort instantly thinks Potter. And at that moment, Snape is terrified because he still loves Lily, and his love for Lily makes him beg um, Voldemort not to kill her, but just kill James and Harry. Don't kill Lily. Um, it's a favor. He asks Voldemort a favor. That favor is the tipping point, the catalyst for everything that happens. And here's why. So Voldemort goes through his thing. He goes to kill Harry. Um, Snape eventually slips, switches side over all of this because he can't stand to see the person he loves um, be in, in danger. Um, when Voldemort goes to kill Harry, Lily is there. And he gives Lily a choice. He is He honors Snape's request and gives Lily a choice and says, step aside. I only want the boy. In doing so, that makes, one, Lily aware that she is going to die and going to die by his hand. And two, gives Lily a choice whether or not to step aside. And she chooses to sacrifice herself. In that sacrifice, which um, gets called the loving sacrifice, um, she offers a protection to Harry. That is what causes Harry to survive um, the curse and rebound on Voldemort, creating the eighth Horcrux, uh, his fall from power. Harry Potter becomes the boy that lived. But the reason why she could do the sacrifice, like the loving sacrifice, is because Snape asked Voldemort not to kill her. And he actually gave her the choice rather than just going in there and murdering her. If she, he had just gone in there, killed Lily, there would have been no sacrifice. Like it just would have been a straight up murder. And him offering the choice and her taking the stand of saying, no, I will not step aside. She becomes a sacrifice for Harry and causes all of this to take place in the first place. So I think without Snape's love of Lily Potter, none of this would have happened. I actually would take that logic just a step further and think about like, okay, because think about the original circumstance, right? So they're in, I think it's the hog's head, right? Where they, right. where uh, Snape overhears Trelawney. I have to have to ask the question, why was Dumbledore conducting a school interview for like the, you know, divination position in, at the, at the local pub in a very public place, you know, where everybody can hear that. Right. And so that kind of right. makes me, so it's just like, Hmm. Very interesting, Dumbledore, the man who refused to fight, you know, Voldemort to begin with, you know, who, who really didn't do much about him when he, uh, he was a student, uh, you know, in, in Hogwarts. And like I said, did refuse to, to, to uh, confront him um, when Voldemort was was an adult and clearly, clearly a threat. So maybe maybe the reason all this stuff happened is because of Dumbledore's lack of action or his crazy spider weaving plans that nobody can understand except for him apparently possibly possibly no you're right i, I mean because he conducted that interview in the pub that allowed snape to overhear it and then so on and so forth oh, right and so but then and then snape came to him later and he was able to you know oh, now i have my spy you know and dumbledore still knew that voldemort was like targeting you know the potters and didn't do anything really about it i mean yeah okay maybe he offered to uh, be their uh their what's they called their secret keeper but then he also knew and or suspected that they had you know that they had switched it to Pettigrew at the time and he never did anything to try to vindicate Sirius and so I'm looking at Dumbledore going you really just didn't want to fight Voldemort yourself and you just put this poor little boy in that position you could have like caused saved everybody a lot of heartache and a lot of pain and a lot of a lot of people wouldn't have like had horrible lives or died if you had just like taken care of business back in like the 1970s just saying could have. Thanks, um, Dumbledore. Nobody took care of business in the 70s. That was the time of free love and disco. Just oh, my saying. God. Now I have a mental image of Dumbledore at a disco. You know he would have loved it. <laughs> oh, my God, him. yes. Disco is not dead. Disco is life. 
Can you imagine the dances at Hogwarts during the age of disco? Oh, don't. Do I want to? But they would probably have the best disco ball because it would be made of, like, the reflection of stars from the skies or something. Except Peeves would keep messing with it. (laughs) There's that. Mm. Oh, but Colleen, you brought up such an interesting question I hadn't thought of. Why did Dumbledore even interview anybody in Hogshead in the first place? Mm -hmm. Was this a security thing? Maybe he had this. I know Hogwarts is protected and you're not allowed to enter it. So maybe he had to hold it offside at Hogsmeade. Yeah, but he no, he's the headmaster, right? So he can allow let Trelawney in. I true, mean, true. See, it's a very public place to be interviewing somebody who claims to be a seer, and for that, you know, it's also for that position, the divination. I'm like, why would you do that? So many people can, you know, can overhear that. And the Hogshead is not exactly known for being like, you know, a happy place. I mean, there's a <laughs> lot of shady characters. Mundungus well, Fletcher. I, <laughs> I see Amanda's like, chomping at the bit there. to explain this. <laughs> well, the way I remember it is that that's where Trelawney was staying. And keep in mind, it's Dumbledore's brother who owns the place. So in Dumbledore's mind, it's like his brother's place. Uh, Trelawney is already staying there, so I thought he just, like, went there for Trelawney's convenience or whatever, because, like, she's a weirdo, but (laughs) in his mind, it's a secure place because his brother owns it, and Snape snuck upstairs and was eavesdropping through the door. So you were still put the blame on Snape. That still puts a question, because Dumbledore and his brother weren't on the best of terms for a very long time, and then, and Dumbledore himself is a very powerful wizard. How would he not know that somebody was, like, overhearing it's not even if even if like you're like oh yeah it's like totes my brother's place it's still not a very safe place in the sense that you still have a lot of you know unsavory characters or people there who are like i don't know you know what exactly they're you know what what they're why they're here and so at the very least like put up some basic wards or something i mean anyway i just i just think it's just very uncharacteristic of dumbledore to be doing that uh just very uh cavalierly especially uh, if it's in a time period, remember the time period Voldemort hasn't been defeated yet, and so we're still in the middle of the first uh, Wizarding War. So it just seems very out of character to be doing it, having an interview like that in such a public place where a lot of people can overhear, and then not even trying to put up like the basic uh, privacy wards, uh, even just in, in the sense of basic security during a time yeah. when Death Eaters and um, and Voldemort are still running around at large. Yeah, um, I I do have to say. The um, this was supposedly Trelawney's first prediction, so it could be that he had no idea she was going to make a prediction, and that's why he didn't care to make it private. It was just a teacher interview for all he knew. Um, the next thing, though, I wanted to give a shout out to Fan Theories Club. They have an excellent interview about, or an excellent theory about what happened, um, and actually that the the first interview possibly actually took place in Dumbledore's office. She made the predict, or she made the um. She made the um, prophecy. He basically put her under, made her forget everything, took time to, to figure out which of the children she was actually referring to, and then reinstaged that interview so that Severus would see it and put her under the Imperius curse so that she would redo everything and he could use it and, and, like, um, and actually intentionally let that slip to a Death Eater so that it would get to Voldemort. But he would yes. have it, he would, he would I... twist it. Do not put it past Dumbledore at all, because look what he gained out of that, right? It's yeah. just all his crazy plans. And again, 
you know, it's it, this is a time period when people, even if they knew each other really well, were so uh, afraid, you know, that they would ask each other those. As soon as they met each other, they would ask them questions because they could positively identify that, hey, I am the real me. I'm mm-hmm. not like a Death Eater or somebody else trying to impersonate me. So it's just just thinking about within that context. It's like, why would he do that? It's, anyway. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's that's a very interesting theory. But, yeah, I, mean, I thought it was pretty good. There's also, if you're going to go with Severus, though, I mean, obviously people are probably thinking, well, yes, Severus is my choice too, but not because of what happened 20 years ago, but because of what he actually did during the storyline proper. Uh, because of, I mean, he is the catalyst again for so many things that happened throughout the seven books, especially in book six. Is he? Well, that's what I was, I was going to throw it to you because you're the anti-Snape club and maybe you would say why? Yeah, like what? What? I'm I'm not impressed. What does he do? What's so important? Well, first of all, he has to live with. I'm totally. I'm totally Snape Club here. He has to live with the fact that the woman that he loved, he carries this torch for her, and he has to literally look at her eyes in the man that he hates so much. Like, imagine what that does to your soul year after year, and. Ca- no, he has to look at the eyes of the girl he had a crush on in high school. No, like... Still not a plot point. How how does he change the story? He changed the story because he always protects Harry, and he he was true to Dumbledore's ward. He had an agreement with Dumbledore to make sure... You're describing characteristics of him, but not plot points. How does he move the story along? He killed Dumbledore. (laughs) (laughs) Which somebody else would have done anyway. I... I just want to say my BB-8 just like woke up on its own and is like looking at me and it is freaking me out. It just, <laughs> it is freaking me out. I think Alexa has hacked my BB-8 and is listening to me now. Are you sure it's Alexa and not the ghost of Severus Snape? Could be the ghost of Severus Snape. It's Peeves. We know it's Peeves. No, I think I think I think Snape is essential in that he unwaveringly was loyal to Lily and in turn to Dumbledore and so many things had to fall in place at the right moment. And he didn't kill Harry at the first moment that he saw him. I think <laughs> a lot of restraint. So he didn't kill a child. Well done. You, you're suddenly, <laughs> I mean, he was a total asshole to Harry the whole time. Like when yep. you go back and read the first book, can you imagine any teacher saying the things that he said? Like they would get fired immediately. He's the worst. His interim yeah. reviews were, could not have been good. The only only good thing that Snape ever did was get Godric Gryffindor's sword to Harry. That's the only thing. No, he did. I mean, like, okay, so he tried to, like, save him from the troll thing in the first book. And he tried to save... Did he even know Harry was down there? I mean... He did. He had been following Harry. He had been using... He had been getting advice. he had been following Quirrell. Oh, are you talking about first book or the last book? I'm on the first book. Okay, sorry. He yeah, the first book. Yeah, yeah. He was told to keep an eye on him. Um, and then uh, this. Wait, which second one? No, not the second one. Third. The third one. Third one. Uh, he goes to the Shrieking Shack, you know, to save them from, you know, Remus, because he knew Remus was a werewolf, and then he found Sirius. Because at the time, you know, he still firmly believed that Sirius was, you know, uh, like a former Death Eater, uh, working for Voldemort. He goes to try to, I mean, you know, save them there. Even he though he doesn't you know, go to he, save Harry, he goes to catch Severus. He no, does. No, not he Severus. does. He does. He, he goes to catch Silverus. Now, I will say, serious, serious. Yeah. That guy. 
serious. I was like, whatever, catch serious. <laughs> um, Snape reminds me a lot of um, Wal- uh, Juan Garcia. He was a double agent in the in World War Two. He was a he was an agent for the for England and for Germany, and he's the only person to get awarded highest ranks on two opposing sides of a war because he played his part so well. That's what I think what makes Snape such a great character is nobody doubted his loyalty to, on his side, no one, well, everybody doubted his loyalty to Dumbledore, but nobody doubted his loyalty as a Death Eater, and he played the part so well, and one of the reasons he had to be so mean to Harry is because he couldn't let it seem like he favored him. He didn't want any sign of weakness when Voldemort came back, and I think I think Dumbledore groomed him and prepared him so that he, because he knew that Voldemort was coming back, and he had to play that part so well because he was a pivotal part in making sure everything. But the argument you're making there is not so much that Snape is important, but that Dumbledore is important because he used Snape like a pawn. He did, but he actually, but he still had to act and pull it off. Like, can you imagine having to be that type of person who is mean to your love's child? And, and like, oh, that's easy because he's not his child. I could see that happening well, in real life I mean, all I the time. Think, I honestly don't think that Snape really ever. He, I don't think he liked Harry, right? No, but I don't think he did. I think still, he resents like, Harry. He saved Harry. Harry's life. He saved Harry's life many times. He also uh, prevented Harry from getting uh, like expelled. I'm going back to the end of the third book, right? When um, Snape tells everybody that, oh, clearly, you know, Sirius has confunded the children. Or whatever, you know, put a spell on them so that they believe that he's innocent. And he said that so that they wouldn't get kicked out. Otherwise, the ministry would have viewed, you know, Ron, Hermione, and Harry as trying to aid in the escape of a wanted criminal. Yeah. Um, Also, Snape had no reason after he had been bitten by Nagini, he had no reason to give Harry his memories to let him know what really happened. Like he could have just died. And if he really truly hated Harry, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have continued to carry through the plan. He was laying dying and he still chose to follow through with the plan. Like, I think that that is he some felt grit. obligated to know for, to, that Harry had to know that Severus, you know, a had done all those things because as a Slytherin, he probably wanted the credit for it because of ambition, but more, more profoundly, he wanted Harry to know that, he loved Lily as much as Harry ever could or never had the chance to. Um, so, uh, again, I, I think that he is loyal to the Potters, but loyal specifically to Lily Potter. And, yes, and then that, that's That's his driving force. I mean, he's he's loyal to Lily Potter, and he's loyal to Dumbledore because he thinks that's the best way to, <laughs> to, to help the situation. But you're right. He does play both sides expertly well. Now... I have a behind-the-scenes kind of question that's outside of the story, and let's look at the construction of the narrative by J.K. Rowling. When she wrote the first two books, and Snape is such an ass to Harry, huh. does she know at that point, because she said yes. she knew everything, does she know that Snape's going to be the most important like down the line? Yes. Because it seems like he's just, in the first two books, he's nothing better than just a decoy villain. But no, he, I mean, he's already saving Harry in the first book. Mm-hmm. He saves Harry in the on the Quidditch match, keeping Quirrell yep. from killing him. He is already he is already a dual like he already has a dual personality, okay. or at least a complex personality. Yeah, that was I think she she had that one planned out from from the beginning. But he, he did serve a good role as a decoy. But yeah, because nobody saw well, Quirrell yeah, until, coming as the villain. Yeah, you know, I mean, did she, until we got Umbridge, yeah. <laughs> Maybe she, never mind. We can go. <laughs> I think. Um, I think before we sever us, my friendship. Uh-huh. 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 Well done. Let's 
let's go back. Um, let's do a second round. Um, I think we could. I think we can fit a second round in here. So we can do a and, slightly shorter second round. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Amanda, who would be your second pick for best character? Okay, I'm really torn because there are a couple of characters that I think are really interesting and worth discussing, but I also, like, obviously want to talk about my favorites. <laughs> so, um, I'm going to go with my other favorite, who is Dobby. <laughs> oh, I hate Dobby. <laughs> um, so, if we're going with, like, important to the storyline, um, Dobby, obviously, when he first shows up, he's important. He, um gets the the diary into play kind of um he gives harry the gillyweed he helps them find the room of requirement he brings mundungus in when they're at the house like not really doing anything um and they don't really have a plan or anything he brings mundungus in and that's when they get started on the plan to get the locket back um and then obviously at the end he helps them all escape from alfoy manor so very critical to the plot and like just the best, right? <laughs> oh, you mean like best in how he almost got Harry expelled and almost how like the ministry was going to like snap his wand because this elf decided to like wreak havoc in Harry's home, you know, That's- and how and how many different times Dobby's, you know, interpretation of trying to help Harry Potter ended up in him almost getting killed. <laughs> I mean, that was only in that one book. Up until that point, he's only lived with the Malfoys, so he's only seen, like, negative and punishments and things like that. Like, he doesn't know how to help in a positive way. <laughs> he's just never learned that. Okay. I will say, as a kid, I absolutely hated Dobby. What? As an adult, yes, as a child, I could not stand Dobby. As an adult, yeah, I didn't like him. having reread the books... And now knowing that Jar Jar Binks exists, I actually—I <laughs> was actually okay, going to ask—is Dobby the more successful version of Jar Jar Binks? Yeah, that's not yeah. a fair comparison because <laughs> you know, Jar come on, Jar Jar is in a category unto his own. Like, <laughs> it'd be very difficult to find a character more irritating. Than we Jar-Jar. don't kill Dobby at the end of every episode. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, exactly. But no, I—I I mean, Dobby's on my was on my list for um, prefectable mentions, not honorable mentions, prefectable <laughs> mentions. Um, so I agree, Dobby plays some very, he is very much a deus ex machina type character where he kind of pops out of nowhere to kind of, not that J.K. He's Rowling, like the R2-D2 of the Harry Potter universe. <laughs> yeah, the filthiest mouth there ever was. Um, Dobby but, is a bleeping free elf. <laughs> I has no master. You and all the other slaves, Dobby. All right. Uh, but no, I agree. Dobby was very essential to pretty much any tight spot that Harry got into between books like four and seven. And it was uh, sad. Especially in seven. Yeah. Um, he was, he, they wouldn't have survived without Dobby. No, uh, especially uh, when they were in the Malfoy Manor. That yes. would have been like the end. It would have been. But you um, are yep. still anti-Dobby, Colleen. Yeah, I do not like Dobby. When, you know, I was like, whatever, he died. Is it there. a personality clash? Like, you just don't like... <laughs> he just... He, he annoys you? me. He annoys you? Yes, he annoys me. But how yeah. can anything with eyes that big annoy anyone? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody loves Trelawney. Do we? <laughs> <laughs> no. I was thinking the exact Hermione, same thing. Hermione doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Hermione definitely doesn't. <laughs> 
Oh, um, but keeping with the speed of round two, um, I'm going to firebolt this over to Colleen. What <laughs> is your second pick? Okay. Best? Okay. So this one, I like again. I have I have several, and so this one's kind of like a combination of my original interpretation of interesting character, but then also with like importance to the plot. Um, and and my pick is Mundungus Fletcher. Ooh. I know his importance to the plot is kind of, is very subtle. As in, like, you'd probably miss it. (laughs) But, so he was very, he was actually one of the original members of the Order of the Phoenix. He's very loyal to Dumbledore to the part, uh, point where basically Dumbledore's like, hey, dude, give me X. And, like, Fletcher's like, all right. And so. um, Wait, Dumbledore asked for drugs? (laughs) I didn't say that. Give me X. No, he asked for Molly. uh, uh, Sorry. Move on. My God, this like keep this. We're gonna try to keep this PG rated here, Josh. Oh my God. <laughs> anyway, so anyway, no. But uh, Fletcher was re- dumb. Was really good at that, uh, basically getting anything, whether it was an object or uh, information that he needed that he could then bring back to the order or to Dumbledore. I mean, yeah, he was like, you know, he didn't. He never missed an opportunity. Uh, like I said, he's very opportunistic, so he was supposed to be watching Harry when he decided to like go make some money off of a batch of stolen cauldrons. Um, whatever but you know think about it that i mean he did um uh what is it he he said hey how about we have like multiple harry's it'll fool voldemort and that was part of that plan for extracting harry from but his house wasn't that planted by somebody else's <sighs> yes yeah, okay okay it was dumbledore's idea okay and then snape like confronted him but he was the one who eventually suggested it because okay. Dumbledore whatever because Dumbledore couldn't because Dumbledore was dead and Snape couldn't because Snape was all like I'm on the bad guy side now so anyway if he hadn't suggested it you know then you know Harry probably would have died very early in that first in the in the last book uh because that was the only part of that plan that you know uh Voldemort wasn't aware of and was very surprised about I mean and then he also was um the one who obtained that two-way mirror uh that Harry was using to uh, basically you know kind of communicate with Aberforth he didn't realize it was Aberforth but it gave him hope it gave Harry hope um you know and then it also allowed um Aberforth and then to see what Harry was doing and to um like pass on information to to the order and to and to be able to be there when Harry uh, needed him so um so anyway, he's like I said, he's a bit of a shady character, um, bit cowardly. I'm not gonna like kind of shy away from that. But if he hadn't done certain things, especially at those uh, critical moments, um, then I think the storyline would have would have gone very differently for Harry. True, I'll give you that. Plus, he's um, just such an interesting character. He is. I thought the actor they picked for him was pretty good. He reminds me a lot of, um, gosh, now the name escapes me. What's the what's the villain in Star Trek that? Con. Harvey is it Harvey? Benedict no. <laughs> Harvey Mudd. Mudd. Yes, I think he, he reminds me a little bit of Mudd. Well, it's, it's a actually Har, uh, Harcourt Fenton Mudd. Yes, um, but I'm gonna have to say I I could see Mundungus's um, few helpfulness or his little <laughs> bit of helpfulness have been written off into another character. I don't see him as pivotal. Like they they very well could have had Wormtail do a couple of things that Mundungus did, I think. Um, cause, wait, what well, did, if uh, you wanted to if you wanted to give Wormtail any kind of, like, a redemption story arc, which didn't happen. Not fully. Uh, no, not fully. Honorable mention that Mundungus has the name that also most likely could be a spell name. That would shoot poop? Who flung poop? <laughs> I mean, 
I cast uh, Mundungus. It would sound... I, I don't know what the spell would be if you cast Mundungus, but it sounds plausible. I think we all know what that spell would be. <laughs> I think it would have been Fungus Pooh. <laughs> I just think, I think his character, it's like, it's kind of similar to Snape's in a way where it's like, you don't know, is he, is he, you know, he, a lot of his character on the outside seems very shady, and I'll admit that, you know, pretty much it is. But then he still has that element of, of goodness or loyalty that's embedded into him. I mean, it might be fleeting, it might be transitory, and he still might put his own, you know, um, like I said, his own um, opportunity uh, above, above other things. But it's, it just, it makes you kind of like wonder. Because he was a member of the Order of the Phoenix, right? Yeah. So there's something there. It makes me you wonder what house he's in. Hmm? Uh, everything you've said makes me wonder what house he's in. Yeah, I don't you know. I looked it up and he, I couldn't find anything on that. Wait, who was in what house? My what house was Dungan? Oh, yeah, no idea. Yeah. A house all his uh, own. Don't know. I don't think yeah. it was Slytherin, though, because then I think people would have, like, you know, really thrown that in his face. Um, kind of like what they did with Snape. I mean, the the rest of the order they didn't really trust him, but like not to the they didn't dislike him. I think to the same extent that they did Snape, they just kind of like held him at arms bay. Like, why are you here again? And I and part of me wondered if that was more like of a hygienic reason. <laughs> you know, but yeah. As an aside, since we don't know his house, it made me think maybe we should do an episode down the line where we take non Harry Potter characters and attempt to figure out which house they would best fit into. Oh yeah, you know what. I think it'd be awesome if Dung was a Hufflepuff. I'm just, just saying. That's funny. That would be hilarious. I mean, he gets along well with people. He can, he can sweet talk anybody. Yeah. I he, mean, you kept talking uh, about how loyal he is. He could be a Hufflepuff, actually. Yeah. True. Would that make the him magic. the most consequential Hufflepuff in the series? Um, you're the one who elected Cedric Diggory. That's true. <laughs> the dead Cedric Diggory. But he's know, dead Diggory. Hagrid's probably the best Hufflepuff in the whole series. Who? Hagrid. Hmm. I could see that. And so, Hagrid was the best Hufflepuff. Even if he did get expelled. <laughs> poor Hagrid. But, well, Alas, poor Hagrid, we knew him well. <laughs> well, Josh, um, why don't you pick up the next torch? Unless, Colleen, you have something else to add. I was just going to say that, you know, Hufflepuffs are particularly good finders. And... Mundungus is very good at finding things. Therefore, again, another reason why he could be a Hufflepuff. Yeah. So my next uh, pick is actually an umbrella pick, but um, the Weasley family, uh, particularly Mr. and Mrs. Weasley, uh, because they provide the sanctuary for the main three that they, especially Harry and Hermione, do not have. They are the loving family that Harry and Hermione do not have. Wait, uh, Hermione yeah, is Hermione's a lovely, nice lovely family. family. Uh, non-muggle. Non-muggle. Until she wipes their brains and they moved to Australia. Yes. yes. She put them back, right? Um, I think so. I don't know. I don't think it's mentioned in the books, but it's it's, it's that's debatable. Particularly the Harry. I think she mentions it in The Cursed Child, maybe. But oh, they, they help organize things. They They're... They're very much, through his role, especially at the ministry, they're central to the political plot. They're central to keeping the sanity and the emotional um, state of the main three. Uh, So I I would go as far as to say that without Mr. and Mrs. Weasley's support, I don't think the three of them succeed in book seven. 
Um, I'd but, say that Harry probably you know, loses his damn mind like a lot sooner. I, yeah, have, like, absolutely. You know? I think Molly. I mean, I love Arthur, but I actually had Molly as my top pick for a long time because I, one, she's the mother of Ron and Jenny, who I think are essential to the plot and the story. But two, she provides that that motherly figure. Like Harry has so many father figures, but he really only has one mother figure, mm-hmm. and That's I don't her. know where he would be without Molly. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, they provided that stability, like that anchor that he doesn't that he doesn't have. And everybody saw like how angsty he got in the books, particularly the movies don't really show it as much. But my God, super yeah. angry, especially oh, yeah. um, in the book. book. And if it ha- oh yeah, and if it had like when he trashes Dumbledore's office, oh my God. <laughs> and so if he hadn't like had that kind of you know that 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 anchor there with the with the Weasley family, like I think he would have just like flipped yeah. his little. Yeah. I, mean, I know it or, seems yeah. odd to say, but like. Dumbledore and Sirius and Remus and all them, they're father figures, but they're also very much about Harry's the chosen one and we're going to train them and this sort of that. Molly is a different kind of connection because even though obviously she has magic as well, it's very much more so day to day. How are you doing? What can we do to make this better? She does constantly you know, say, like, you're not going to be part of these meetings. You're just a kid. Like, she wants him to just be exactly. a kid and have, like, mm-hmm. a normal life. And so she's constantly, like, getting into arguments with her husband and with other the male um, you know, members of the order, even with Tonk, saying he's he's a teenager, he's a kid, he does not need to know these things, he does not need to be involved. She should have been on the dangerous. Jedi Council when they were evaluating Anakin Skywalker, but I digress. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> mm. I think that, you know, she does play that in very important motherly stable role by keeping perspective in the whole scenario. Yeah. Uh, Not to mention that she's also the person that kills Bellatrix Lestrange. Thank you. I was about to say that. She is one badass witch, man. Oh, she can bring it when it has to be brought. You know, but... We're not talking Raleigh Broughton here, okay? (laughs) Uh, But I'm just saying that her, her importance goes beyond her witching ability. It goes... Much to her character and how good of a soul she is in the books. I mean, Mr. Weasley, too, but she is one of the most pure-hearted people in the series. Well, I think part of the reason why she's very reluctant to have any of her children and then also Harry and, and, you know, and and Hermione and their friends to get involved in this war is because she saw what happened in the first one. I mean, she lost both of her brothers. They were killed, Uh uh, you know, in the first Wizarding War. And she doesn't, she knows that personal loss and she does not want to see that happen. And she had a huge toll in in the second Wizarding War. Yeah, she lost her son. Yeah. Uh, And, and, well, part of another. (laughs) Although, but I think it's also, we can debate all day about whether or not Harry and Jenny was the right couple, but I, I, I am very glad that Molly becomes Harry's mother-in-law. Hmm. Yeah. Now, that, I mean, that is very appropriate, all things they, considered. Jenny plays a bigger role later, um, like after the Hogwarts stuff, but originally Harry and Hermione were supposed to be paired together, but Ew, weird. Rowling switched the coupling because... Like, what would Ron have done? Like, if Ron didn't have to find him, like, what would have happened to him? Maybe Ron. Was Ron supposed to end up with Luna, maybe? I don't know. I was oh, like, God, no. no. Ron, Ron thought Ron, he was, no. she was a weirdo. Yeah, Ron Romances yeah, have started in all the other ways. No. I mean, I think the best thing that happened to Ron is he got Fleur de la Cour as a sister-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my God. But she did. Yeah, I actually, I, I, I totally disagree with the pairing uh, between Ronan and Hermione. I think it doesn't make any sense to me. But that's a whole, that's another topic. Yeah, well, that's why I said beyond that. I think it's appropriate that Molly's Harry's mother-in-law. I said nothing about their suitability of yeah. the couple. No, I think, I think Hermione could have done better. Thank but you. Also, yes. But I also think it's. I think she was trying to be true to real life, where you there's. I'm telling you, there are people who are married to other people that you think, like, how did that happen? <laughs> just trying to make it seem more realistic. Like, Hermione probably, while she is smart and and brilliant, she is still a human. She's still muggle-born, and she, she's going to go with her heart. So, who knows? All right. Um, speaking of going with your heart, uh, my final choice is very much closely related to my first choice because I went with the logical next pick um and sequence of of choices and that would be lily potter um again her the thing that kept that kept voldemort from killing harry was her her loving sacrifice which shielded harry um which voldemort just could not understand he he didn't give any thought to non-dark arts ways of doing things and there was a very strong ancient magic um Mm. that lily used to protect harry that that Voldemort would have never even considered, um, which caught him off of his guard. You could also say that so many people, like, think about how many times, like, people said that Harry looked like his father, but what most people focus on was Harry's eyes, and how, like, think about how many references there are to Lily Potter across all of the books. You have Snape's torch for her, you have Slughorn um, being, um, her being on the, in the Slug Club, um, you have all the people calling her a brilliant wizard, even though she was muggle-born. She was head girl. Um, she gave birth to Harry Potter, I mean, of all people. like. <laughs> <laughs> well, that in itself isn't significant. I mean, he was just any other baby, wasn't he? <laughs> uh, yeah, like, like, people seem to revere her much more than James Potter. Um, That's and, because she wasn't a douchebag. Oh, yeah, she also wasn't a bully <laughs> douchebag. Like... Um, Hermione she, could have done better. Lily could have done better. Just saying. Lily, you're right. Lily, I don't think Lily should have married James Potter because he was a douchebag and only yep. straightened up in his last year. And I mean, they were. I think they only dated for like four years before they had Harry. They, I think, they got married within a year of graduating Hogwarts. Yeah, I was gonna say it's yeah, it's, yeah, because they died when they were like twenty one. I think. Yeah. yeah, they were twenty. They were very young. They're like mm-hmm. they. She barely had any time to get to know herself but it seemed like everything pit like hung on what lily potter did and who she was as a person and the choice and and you can also think about his like impact on harry's life the fact that um harry was living with her sister and petunia hated lily and because of that is basically the reason why they treated harry so horribly petunia i don't i don't actually think petunia hated lily i think she loved her sister and she was super jealous of her sister, and that manifestation of that jealousy is what caused her to be so nasty towards Harry. That's like some serious nastiness, though. Like, that's like CPS level But that's also serious level as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, like, what the hell, man? Lily Potter messed up some I people. I don't think it's so much jealousy as, like, she's hurt because she lost her best friend. And There's so, that. in the same way as Severus never gets over it, Petunia never gets over it. Right. Yeah, and she, but she allows herself and then her husband and then their son to treat sure. Harry so horribly. But, and then of course, like you can also argue that Dumbledore lets that happen too because he's aware of it. I, 
So I'm going, going to make back. a very classical illusion um, here. Lily Potter's role in this series is very similar to Helen of Troy. Yeah. Uh, you know, instead of being the face that moves a thousand ships, she's the witch that moves a thousand wands. Um, <laughs> Uh, because it seems like oh, yeah, everyone, there's no, there's no innuendo there. Yeah, <laughs> everyone yeah, no. in the series has a connection to somewhat either to they either love Lily, uh, love her more than others love her, or you know, it, Lily is very much the emotional core, the absent emotional core uh, of this of the series. Now, I'm not saying in in the in the uh, Iliad and the Odyssey, Helen of Troy doesn't have much agency. Lily is the opposite. She is a badass. But it's, in terms of plot catalyst, mm-hmm. very similar role. Yeah. Which would make that's... Snape kind of like Odysseus, and that's just weird. But moving on. Mm. Uh... Okay. Well, that that's basically Lily Potter with my, my final choice. I felt like so many things connected back to her, and she was so she was so intertwined with everything that you couldn't not consider her important. Yeah, plus, plus she got her own themes music in the movies. Yeah, totally. James, nev- James Potter never got no theme. Yeah, because ain't nobody <laughs> about no James Potter. Exactly. It was It's kind of like Melania and Trump, you know? Bully and oh, why in the world did you marry him? <laughs> All right. That, so, that's an image. Uh, just saying. So um, I guess we're going to wrap up. So that was the end of our fourth round. So we had um, Amanda's first picks were... I mean, what was your first pick? I remember Remus. Dobby. Oh, Lupin, Remus, love him, and and, and Dobby. Uh, Colleen went with Mundungus, and oh, who was that crazy guy? Peeves. Peeves. <laughs> uh, Josh, no clue. Absolutely no clue. <laughs> <laughs> dead, dead Diggory. Dead Diggory and Molly Diggory. Weasley. I needed something rhymy. I needed something rhymy for the Weezies, but Dead Diggory. Um, and the Weasleys, and I went with Severus and Lily Potter. Um, we're gonna take we're gonna take two minutes, and I want you to just give out um, your honorable mentions, name and or family name, as some people like to spread the umbrella, and like one or two words as to why you why you would put them. Um, switching it up, I'm gonna go in a random order. Colleen, give me a, an honorable mention. Okay, do you want me to list all of them or just do like just one at a do time? One. Okay, uh, okay. I'm gonna do uh, Luna. Uh, mm. Hashtag Nargles. <laughs> nice, uh, Josh. Hagrid, because uh, I sympathize the most with his character, and I feel like if I were in the universe, I'd play a very similar role to Hagrid. So, uh, what up to my boy, Hagrid? <laughs> Amanda. Um, so this one is more of an interesting one for me, uh, Slughorn, because he gives us the Horcruxes, and in the end, he's fighting on the right side during the Battle of Hogwarts. Sure. Um, I'm going to go with Neville, because he very clearly could have been the other boy who lived. Um, any, any other honorable mentions, anybody you just want to throw out free-for-all? Yeah, I've got, uh, Argus Filch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can be separate or combined, Mrs. Norris. Well, I mean, she was an ex-wizard who got stuck in a transfiguration curse. So, well, I mean, you know. Um, I got to give a, a big shout-out to McGonagall, uh, underrated professor compared to some others, and she is a badass in her own right. So, McGonagall, of course. Okay. 
Um, I'll just uh, second Neville. I'm surprised we didn't talk about him more because, I mean, he's one of the only ones who got the privilege of destroying a Horcrux. Outside of the original three, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually, I thought about Neville and I didn't pick him because I thought somebody else was. Right, yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> he was yeah. third. He was definitely third if someone had picked Snape or <laughs> He's the unanimous consent bronze. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he, he got a podium. He got a podium. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good, well description of Neville's whole life. <laughs> yeah, he pretty much Neville'd up. Like, that's <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome! I love it. Uh, uh, honorable mention as well to uh, to Fox and Hedwig. Oh, I was totally gonna go for a fox neck. Uh, for fox sake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just saying. Uh, I, I was gonna pick also the Sorting Hat. Yes. Uh, you know. <laughs> Hey, because, like, Destiny Man, like, if he could have sorted Harry into Slytherin, and we'd have a totally different story. Is the sorting hat omniscient? No, it is just a very strong piece of magic. So there's no soul of, in the sorting hat? There's no soul, per se, but it, people consider it alive, but it has a, it supposedly has a brain or a mind, um... So and it's it, AI. So it can read. I was like, yeah. it's the AI of the wizarding world. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Hey, Alexa, which house am I in? <laughs> I wonder what she would answer. Hey, Alexa. <laughs> what house am I in? She said she doesn't have the skills installed for that. So I'll have to do some research, clearly. Um, okay. Um, my honorable mention, besides Molly Weasley, who I love, um, I'm going to go with... Okay, Alexa, shut up. Like, I'm going with you. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to have to go with Dudley. Because if he hadn't bullied Harry into the way that he was, he wouldn't appreciate Hogwarts as much. He is still talking, for the record. (laughs) (laughs) I also have to mention slightly Umbridge, because I don't think I've ever hated a villain more in my life. So Rowling did a great job creating someone. I hated her more than Voldemort. Thank you, yes, same Uh, here. And I I, I think the reason is because... Every one of us has had a teacher or, you know, an authority-like figure who is just like her. Yes. Oh. She mm-hmm. is infinite. She is the more relatable quotidian evil, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. Who uh, wears pink. Yes. Well, she's not wearing pink to raise awareness. Um, <sighs> she is Jeez. just a douche. Oh. Muffaletto. Wait, that's not a spell. That's a sandwich. All right. <laughs> I cast right. biscotti. No, uh. <laughs> Frappuccino! Biscotti! <laughs> oh. Food items that could also be spells at Hogwarts. Go! Oh, that would be such a good episode. Gorgonzola! <laughs> it cleans the mold out of your shower immediately. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Um... Okay, so let's let's take a vote. I'm gonna go around the go around the room um, based on the submissions of the other panelists. Who do you think is the best secondary character after all is said and done? Amanda. I'm sticking with Remus. Remus for Amanda. Uh, Colleen. Um, I'm going to have to go with Dead Degree because I just find that hilarious. Dead Degree, nice. Josh. Well. Um... I didn't realize my theory was going to be so good until I had a chance to say it out loud, but sure. Uh, uh, but no, on- honestly, no, I-, I 
for good or for ill, because I have a lot of problems with this character's development. I'm sort of in the middle on between Amanda and Colleen, but you can't deny the role of, of Snape. Okay. In the plot. Um, I actually, as much as I think Snape is essential, you actually did bring up a really good point with Diggory that I had not thought of, and I, so I'm actually going to go for Dick Diggory as well. Because yes! he, plays, he is pretty much the premise of it's all of the Diggory perfect Diggory for the win! Dick Diggory for the win. He, he finally, finally won gets, something! He finally got that cup that he's been waiting for for so long. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, with that, we have Dead Diggory as the best second... Harry character in <laughs> the Harry Potter series. The finally, finally, Hufflepuff. Finally, Hufflepuff gets recognition for something. Hashtag Hufflepuff. Hashtag Ted Diggory. I guess I'll take <laughs> Amanda wins with a dead person. person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Um. So now that we know who the best character is, I would like to. I am honored to be the person who will be able to kill off Jar Jar in yes, this episode. I, 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 may I give you the go-ahead, then? Yes, please. Callie, please. with all due responsibility, kill the Gungan! Ah! So, in preparation for this, I reread uh, The Goblet of Fire and was inspired um, by Snape's horrible potion lesson. Um, Snape, now I'm teaching, going back in time, he actually taught Jar Jar Binks potions for a couple years um and in one of those lessons um he was demonstrating the powers of veritaserum and gave it to the gungan because he had a very important question to ask the gungan why didn't george lucas model jar jar more like dobby so they can have a annoying question (laughs) but have redeemability in the end unfortunately snape did not know that gungans um were allergic to veritaserum and it is lethal and Jar Jar dies. The and truth. The old, Jar Jar. The truth hurts, as the old adage goes. So Jar Jar is dead, but we are not. Um, I would like to say thank you to all of the cast members and who are here with us today. So thank you, Amanda, and congrats on your first episode. Woo! Uh, thank you, Colleen. Man, I love going back to Hogwarts. It was totally awesome. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, and as a teaser for our listeners, uh, next week we are going to get into the pros and cons of tabletop versus video gaming, and which one is better. So start preparing your D12s for this one, folks. On behalf of the B&Q team, I want to say thank you and finite incantatum. Have a lovely week. (laughs) 